Hello. How are we all? Doing good? Doing well? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's always honoring and a little bit challenging to be introduced because you hear the things that are, are said of you and you know that they are uh, factually true and yet also things that you aspire to be. You know, like Richard saying uh, that everything is for the glory of God and that's, that's the aspiration. You know, that's the desire and uh, in, in how we live and how we should live our lives. Uh, and yet it doesn't mean uh, at all being, it's not a limiting thing, actually. It's a freeing thing. It opens doors up uh, to how we express ourselves and the kind of stuff that we are involved with. I actually have all sorts of, like Richard said, all sorts of little hobbies and little, I don't know, irons in the fire, little projects that are going on all the time uh, that I really enjoy. Uh, I guess I'm something of a nerd. That's just how it is. I, I like comics. I like superheroes. I like movies. I like stories. I enjoy storytelling. I enjoy writing. All this kind of stuff. I'm married. Uh, my wife is actually overseas right now. She's in Switzerland uh, with two of my daughters. My other daughter is here. So I'm a dad, which means uh, that I'm probably really embarrassing. Uh, a lot of times, like a lot of dads, I'm embarrassing. Sometimes it's, um, sometimes it's uh, not on purpose, and sometimes it is. Um, I've actually, I have a blog, which is not one of those blogs that's really focused on like one thing. You don't really know what you're going to get. It's just sort of like just write about movies and comics and sometimes Jesus and just whatever, you know, is kind of on my mind. And lately, there's actually no reason for this, but lately I've been writing about spoons. And um, uh, I decided that September was the month of the spoon. Uh, it's not a real thing as far as I know. I just made it up. Hashtag month of the spoon. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, within the month of the spoon, I have the daily spoon. So the actual, the reason why it's the month of the spoon is because I didn't want to do the daily spoon for like a whole year. So it's just for a month. So every day I've been posting um, like a picture and a little story about some spoon in my life. Um, and it's not even like, it's not like I love spoons or I'm really into spoons or anything like that. It was just an idea that came along. And then I thought, I thought, you know, what would be fun would be to get somebody to do a guest post. Other people who uh, probably have spoons of, that are, they're passionate about. And um, the, so far, I've only done, we've only done that once. And I, he was, is he here still? Dave? Uh, he's around somewhere. Dave Thiel, a good friend of ours, a uh, good friend of mine here at YWAM Perth, wrote um, a guest post about the day on the Daily Spoon, sharing about a spoon that he, he cares about. And... Um, and then I asked him, I said, can you tell me about yourself also? Like, I know him, but I wanted to know what he was comfortable sharing about himself, like, by way of introduction. And then he wrote something that I thought was really interesting, and I actually want to share it, if that's okay. Um, I feel like it's all right because it's public out there, and, you know, like, all of eight people have seen it or something. <laughs> but um, but uh, he wrote, my name is David Thiel. I'm a chef, which is true. He helps to run our kitchen, and have, therefore, extensive experience with spoons, with spoons. I've always found parallels between spoons, between people and spoons. Some are shallower and some are deeper. Deeper ones can carry more. And I thought, wow, that's kind of, that's quite wise. That's quite interesting. The, your deeper spoon, you have deeper capacity uh, to carry more like a person can. And it didn't inspire this message, but it connected in because I was already thinking about the whole thing of capacity. The whole thing of what it means to grow in our capacity about being able to carry more. The reason I was thinking about that is because it's been a little bit of a busy time 
uh, lately in my life. I'm sure it's been a busy time in many people's lives. I feel like it's especially been a busy fortnight. Does everybody know what a fortnight is? Because if you're a, maybe a student who's come from the United States, you might not know what a fortnight is. You might be thinking of a video game. Uh, <laughs> For me, growing up in America, a fortnight was like a vocabulary word from my English literature class, you know, where in my Pride and Prejudice book or my Charlotte Bronte book or whatever, you're like, oh, fortnights, what's that? Oh, it's 14 nights, it's, it's two weeks, wow. And that turns out to be a really handy uh, word to use to describe lots of things, get paid fortnightly often, things like that. Anyway, it's been a busy fortnight. About a fortnight ago, I was asked to take on something that I wasn't expecting to do, and so suddenly, um, life got a bit busier. And then it turned out that thing had implications upon other things that needed to be, do be done. So it got even busier uh, than I thought. And so with all that, pressure is increasing, right? Pressure is increasing. And with the increase in pressure, there is a temptation, which is to think this pressure that I'm experiencing is the same as saying I'm suffering, Right? It's, it's sort of a temptation, I don't know about for you, but for me for sure, to say I'm under pressure, it's like I'm suffering. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering, but it, it's actually not, right? Pressure is just life. It's just the result of things in life. And, you know, suffering might be the result of injustice or the result of, of some sort of accident or different things like that. But pressure is just part of our experience of just walking around and living. And so I was kind of feeling this pressure and then I got asked quite recently to speak tonight. Um, it was a bit of a last minute change. And so I was like, all right, God, you know, do you want me to speak? And if so, do you want to give me a bit of a hint? Because the pressure means like it's hard to find, it's like time is short. So I've got to prepare and, and God, what are you saying? And I felt like God said to me, he said to me these words, if you trust me, I will increase your capacity and you will accomplish more. Speak on that or words to that effect. And so in that moment, God gave me a word that adjusted my thinking, and he also gave me the headline for tonight. So that was wonderful. Uh, I was very grateful. If you trust me, I will increase your capacity and you will accomplish more. So increasing capacity isn't something that happens in an instant, right? It's not like a, a magic boom, kind of thing hits you and suddenly you, you've increased capacity. It's something that involves, that grows over time. And so it involves a process of, of stretching, right? Which involves pressure, pressure in life. And I believe that whenever we set our face towards some noble goal, towards some worthwhile task, that there, and are always, almost always, there comes a testing to that. There comes a testing to that. And it's really important that we learn, I learn, how to respond to that testing well. Because if I don't, then I will not achieve the noble goal. I will not achieve the good purpose that I, uh, I have set myself off for. We need to learn how to respond to that testing well so that we can bear fruit in our lives. Now, a first couple of quick observations about this testing. First thing is that, in my experience, the testing is always greater than you think it's going to be. Because when you, when you make a commitment or you say, yes, I will do something, or you make a vow of some sort, usually you've, you've gone through some kind of process of thinking about what are the possible negatives here? What are the things that could go wrong or what are the things that could be difficult? And the testing, when it comes along, it's always outside of that imagination that we've got. So it always takes us by surprise or always takes me by surprise. Um, 
You know, like when you may be married, I'm married. In my wedding vows, I, somewhere in there were words about being committed to my wife for better or for worse. Right? Now, in that moment, I have to be honest, I wasn't really thinking a whole lot about the worse. Right? I wasn't thinking, oh, yeah, the worse. Um, this is going to happen. This is, there's going to be a lot of worse coming up in this. I was thinking of a lot of better that I was going to walk into in being married. And in fact, it was really easy for me to look at the worst and kind of romanticize it. Oh, I'm sure there will be difficulties. I'm sure we will have little arguments. We will have little conflicts. They will be so sweet and romantic, our conflicts. And we will giggle about them. We will titter merrily about our conflicts and our hard times and think how sweet they were. But the reality is, is that moments, that's not kind of the, the actual script that gets written when you're in the middle of the difficult time, right? When the pressure comes or the testing comes, the, 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 the dialogue in my head is a lot more like, well, I didn't sign up for this. Do you know, that's kind of the thing that, that comes out. I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I signed up for. And as a result, I fail to recognize that it's actually testing. Do you know, instead I just think this is just life is bad. Do you know, that's the thing. Life is, is bad. And I don't, and I, I can easily miss the fact, well, actually, you are stretching towards something that is really worthwhile. That's actually important. It's actually a good thing that you accomplish this, like a good marriage or uh, a ministry goal or a work goal or a relationship goal, whatever that is. And there's going to be a pushback against that. And so there's a test that I've got to learn how to deal with so that I can still accomplish those things. So we often fail to recognize it. It just feels like life has gone bad. Uh, but in reality, is a test. The test is actually a finite thing. It doesn't last forever. But in the middle of it, it doesn't necessarily feel like a finite thing. It just feels like this is a bad state of, this is just how it is and it's bad. Um, so just some comments about that, that we, yeah, about receiving or living through, walking through those tests and fi figuring out how to actually go forward. So again, the overall comment is, if you trust me, I will increase your capacity and you will accomplish more. So it's a lot about, okay, how do I respond to these tests? And all of that brought up a, an important question, which is what I want to talk about for the rest of the time, which is, okay, well, God's saying, if you trust me, I'm going to do this. So what does it mean? What does it actually mean for me to trust him? Okay, well, I trust God. I believe he's telling the truth. But what does it actually mean for me to walk out something about trusting God? And I felt like God highlighted a couple of passages in the Bible, and there are a couple of my favorite passages in the Bible, so that was a blessing. Um, as I'm already kind of familiar with them, a couple of stories that I think talk about responding to pressure or responding to the test. And one of them is found in Numbers 13 and 14, and it's really about a guy called Caleb, okay? A guy called Caleb in the Bible. And do we know this story? It's a story we have, um, we've, it's in the middle of the children of Israel's journey. So Israel has had that whole time in Egypt. They've had the Exodus, the plagues, the Red Sea, all the Prince of Egypt stuff. And they're on their journey toward the promised land. All right? And in Numbers 13 and 14, they actually get to the promised land. They arrive there. And then they say, okay, before we go in as a whole mass, let's figure out what this place is like. Let's choose 12 people to go in there and kind of check it out. And so they choose... Uh, 12 leaders, 12 respected, experienced people, 12 people who had walked through the Red Sea, 
who had seen the Red Sea, who had seen the plagues in Egypt, who had seen the provision of God uh, in different ways on that journey. And one of them is Caleb, and one of them is Joshua, and the other ten are people that we don't tend to name our children after. <laughs> and they go and they explore the land, and then they come back with a report. And in Numbers 13, starting in verse, my eyes, 27, starting in verse 27, it says, This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore. And it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces, because they were carrying it with them. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. They are spread, so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw there were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. So these guys, this report is coming from people who had walked through the Red Sea. You know, people who had, had followed Moses and gone through the various challenges and trials that they had experienced, you know, that the people of Israel had experienced. Um, they had seen the provision of God. They'd seen the miracles of God. But then they got to a point where it was just like, this is a bridge too far. This is, this is too hard. This is not what I signed up for. I didn't know it was going to be like this. Do you know? Like, okay, we had some tests. We had some challenges. But then I thought, I don't know what I thought, but I didn't think this was going to be the case. And yet, then you have Caleb, on the other hand. Caleb, who walks through the exact same situation. And I think it's good to notice that Caleb and these guys, they don't actually disagree about what the land is like. They both see the land, and they agree. You know, it's a good land, and there are big enemies there. Caleb isn't saying, oh, no, there's no enemies. He's saying, yeah, there's a, it's a good land. There are enemies there. Let's go and take the land. Because we can certainly conquer it. He goes into this difficult situation where there is great difficulty and opposition. There is a great test. And he doesn't allow himself to be put off of what God has actually said. He faces that and says, okay, but what did God say? And God endorses him. In Numbers 14.24, he says, But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me. So I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. So it says he has a different attitude and he's remained loyal. In other translations and in another verse later on, God describes him as being wholehearted. Caleb was wholehearted. He was loyal. He had a different attitude. Being wholehearted doesn't just mean being enthusiastic with a bunch of your heart, you know, or being big and bright in your personality. It's about being entirely given to truth, entirely given to God's word. Being wholehearted means that your whole heart is involved. And so your whole heart is in agreement about something. So other ways of translating, your heart is pure. A pure heart is a wholehearted heart. It's not cracked. It doesn't have divisions, is it? A wholehearted heart is 
undivided, an undivided heart, a heart that's not confused about which side it's on. Well, I'm on God's side, but I'm also kind of on my side. I'm on God's side, but I'm also on the side of comfort and safety. You know, I'm on God's side, but I'm also on the side of pleasure and worldly goods, you know, or whatever it is. It's not confused about that. It's wholeheartedly on the side of God. And that's something that's true about Caleb. Another thing that's true about Caleb that I think is really good is that he actually, he tries to, to sort of carry others in their faith. Like sometimes when things are difficult, okay, sometimes things are difficult. And I think God wants us to be people that he can trust to carry difficult things with him. You know, he wants us to be someone who can say, you know what, it is difficult. I'm not telling you it's, it is difficult. Can you trust me in that? Can we do this together? Can you carry some of this? Not because I'm too tired, but because there's joy in the fellowship and relationship that God has in his heart when his people will say, yes, I will agree with you. You know what I mean? Like Jesus, I don't think needed people to be with him in the garden because he literally couldn't handle that. But to have the joy of people who were with him, you know, the shared sort of carrying of the weight you know, was a, a joy to him. And I think God wants that from us. He wants us to be people who he can trust to carry difficult things. And so here's Caleb in this situation, and he can see which way the wind is blowing, right? They're, they're sharing their story, and they're saying, yeah, it's great, but, you know, there's this problem, and there's this problem, and there's this problem, and he jumps in. He's like, okay, we can take the land. And they're like, no, we can't. It's this problem and this problem, and they go on and on and on. The whole nation is being turned, and then it says that Caleb and Joshua the only other one to kind of agree with them, they, they pleaded with them. They, you know, they tore their garments, a symbol of great emotional distress. And they, they pleaded in a, in a place of intercession, really, with the people saying, let's not lose this. Let's not give this up. And they were almost killed for their troubles. You know, the people were so resistant to this that they almost stoned them. So Caleb was carrying others. He was, tr or he was trying to carry others. Can... Can I be, can you be a team member, a family member, a group member who, who stays loyal to what God is doing, stays loyal to the vision even in that difficult time? You know, if you're, not a, if you're the leader or if you're not the leader, it doesn't really matter to, to stay loyal in there and to help carry the group forward in the vision that God actually has. He tries to help others on their journey of faith. He steps in when things go dark, and he tries to win them back to a place of faith. In this case, his efforts were not successful, but it wasn't because of his lack of, of wholehearted effort. And the third thing about Caleb, so he's wholehearted, he helps to carry others, but he also is incredibly patient and persevering. Because then Caleb shows up in this other part of the Bible a couple of books later. Because, of course, if you know the story, the Israelites don't go into the promised land. They disobey God. And... Uh, the 10 spies actually all die and everybody else dies off as the generation rolls along. And so Caleb and Joshua alone of that generation and then all the young people who have grown up, they enter the promised land and that's the story of Joshua. Where Joshua is now leading stuff and they, they do go and take the promised land and Caleb is part of this whole process. And in num uh, Joshua 14 verse 10 Caleb kind of comes back after all these victories have taken place, all, all these wars have happened, and they've won all this stuff. Caleb comes up and comes to Joshua and basically says, all right, I've been fighting 
for my brothers. I've been fighting for the nation. I've been fighting for the tribes. Now I want to go and take my own inheritance. You know, I've, I've been, I'm waiting. This is what I've been waiting to do for apparently 40 years. What I've been waiting to do all this time. Verse 10. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. So fascinating, the wholeheartedness of Caleb, right? He's not actually saying, let me go in and live in my land. He's saying, let me go now and engage in the battle for my land. Let me go now and even start fighting for my land. Because all this time, I've just been standing and waiting and then fighting on behalf of my brothers. So even when it's not his fault, even when things have gone wrong, Caleb isn't looking for God to apologize to him for those problems. He's just serving, serving God, serving his nation, serving his people, fighting for the tribes, and remaining determined to take his inheritance. That's Caleb. The other person I want to talk about in this way uh, is someone whose name I can't pronounce as easily. But in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we find a king called Jehoshaphat. 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 <clears throat> so eventually the Israelites do take the land. Eventually there are kings. There's King David, there's his son Solomon, there's Rehoboam, and there's about two or three other generations, and then we get to King Jehoshaphat, right? And so he's the king, and he has good days and bad days, it seems like. Uh, and in chapter 20, verse 20, we find what I'm sure would have felt like one of his bad days, okay? A day when suddenly there was pressure. Because what happened in that day, it says in verse 20, after this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Muonites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. This was another name for En Gedi. Now, I had a quick look on the map uh, or on the internet, and this is apparently about 55 kilometers from Jerusalem. So it's not so close that you can get hit with a spear or something like that, but it's close enough that you know that there are people coming your way and, you know, it's going to happen. Right? And so sometimes that's what life is like. Sometimes you just know the enemy is coming. The, the problem is coming. And it's not about, do I enter the promised land or not? It's just, no matter what, this battle is coming my way. Do you know what I mean? And there's no way I can really avoid it. The enemy is suddenly there. He's nearer than you think. It's unavoidable. And it's overwhelming. You know? So Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. That's what it says. I'm reading from verse 3. Terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all of the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. And it goes on if you read the next few verses where he's, he's pleading to God in a deep intercessory prayer. You know, but not quietly in his room. He's doing this like with the nation. And so Jehoshaphat allows his fear to drive him toward God. That's kind of my first point about him. He allows his fear to drive him toward God. In fear, in the response 
to that overwhelming enemy, we can do all sorts of things, right? We can, we can be driven toward helplessness. We can be driven toward panic. We can be driven toward human wisdom. We can be driven toward just trying to avoid it or just trying to bluster uh, false self-confidence, whatever. But he actually is driven toward God, to a deep place of humility before God. God, this is bad. You know, please come and help. He cries out to God. And he also, he calls all that he has authority over to also cry out to God. So he's not just doing this quietly. He's like, as a king, we as a nation are crying out to God. He allows his fear to drive him toward God. That is really the best possible response to fear that we could have. Then, second point, he receives the word of the Lord with faith. Because what happens then is that a prophet is raised up to say something. All the people are gathered. They're all crying out to God. And then this guy whose name is Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He's got this whole lineage here described. And he shows up and he says, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. He turns to the king and says, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the, the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions and then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. And it says Jehoshaphat's response, he bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. So the word of the Lord came, and Jehoshaphat received it by faith. He took God at his word. So key, the word of the Lord comes, that's great, but it's nothing really in my life until I receive it by faith. I say, yes, but I've got all these reasons to be afraid. Yes, you do. But God is speaking. God is saying something. Receive that by faith and let that begin to move you, shape you, transform your thinking, transform your actions. This is not just an apathetic acceptance. Oh, God will do something, you know, and now I'm going to go distract myself with some form of entertainment or something like that so I don't have to think about it. This is... Um, this is uh, something that's full of faith. This is a faith-filled response, a faith-filled engagement with the voice of God and the word of God that is allowing it to bring transformation to my whole thinking. And we see that Jehoshaphat responds with action. Really, when we can have hope in the face of disaster or a loss or tragedy, then in many ways we have defeated the enemy. We have defeated the enemy's attempts to sabotage us and sabotage our lives. Third thing about Jehoshaphat is that he led out in worship. So in response to this, they get the word of the Lord. Verse 20, early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord, your God. You will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. See, he's met with God and he's been transformed in his heart. And now he's a source of inspiration to the people around him. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. 
And then it goes on to say, at this very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. Uh, so these guys all fight each other, they fight themselves, and they end up wiping each other out. And it says, when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. And so the prophet had said, you know, this is... This, in this case, it's not about you going in and fighting the battle, but it is about you going and taking your position. Going and taking your position and then seeing what God will do. And that position was a place of faith, and it was a place of worship. That's how they, they launched out. They stepped out in a place of worship. A lot of times in life, there are a lot of reasons to be sad. There are a lot of reasons to be afraid. There's a lot of reasons to be discouraged. There's a lot of reasons to be overwhelmed. But there is a bigger reason to praise God. With all of that, with all of, the, all of the enemy's work, all of the opposition, all the difficulty, God is always worth worshiping. So it's an amazing thing. No matter what else is going on, now I'm not saying God doesn't care about our, our pain or our situation. He deeply cares about that. That's what we're seeing here. But no matter what else is happening or what the level of suffering or opposition or difficulty that we're facing, when we come before God, an appropriate response to him is a response of worship. God, you are good. You know, that, that word of praise. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. But I'm, I'm, all this bad stuff is happening. Yeah, that's true. And God cares about that. And in that, we can give thanks to the Lord because His faithful love endures forever. And one of the things that this addresses is really this whole area of self-pity. Right? Um, it's that thing I was talking about before where I feel pressure and suddenly I'm tempted to feel like, oh, woe is me. So many bad things are happening to me. But that's self-pity. That's, that's responding to my circumstances with a focus on what I feel like I'm not getting or what I feel like I'm missing or what I feel like I deserve that nobody is kind of meeting in that particular area. Um, it's not responding in a place of faith and thanksgiving and trust in the Lord. And so when I can respond to God and worship, then it, it allows me to see the needs for what they really are, right? There's real needs, but it's not a need for like, it, it, you know, it, 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 I don't have clarity over that until I actually position myself first as someone who can worship God. You know, then the needs become clear. You can address them. You can respond to them. You know, the needs for healing for all sorts of things. But we don't have that from God. Then it's just like a giant I don't know, my experience anyway, it's just like a giant ball of need, you know what I mean? And I can't actually see past that. And that's where I can move very easily into this thing of self-pity. So, trying to flip my page here. Jehoshaphat. So again, what was my original point? If you trust me, I will increase your capacity. And then you can accomplish much. Caleb trusted God. He... He responded to the testing uh, with a commitment and a loyalty, a wholeheartedness toward uh, the word of God. He was a strength uh, to people around him. He stayed faithful over many years to the word of God. That was, a, what does it mean to trust God? That is one of the ways I have learned about this. Jehoshaphat in this situation is trusting God. You know, he, uh, an overwhelming enemy comes and so he turns to the Lord. It's not an easy thing. It's not like, oh, I just pray once and then I'm done. And then I go watch TV. It's, I've got to go and fall into a deep place of intercession and crying out to the Lord because I have deep needs. 
and then I see God in them, and then I'm transported to a place of worship, and also inspiration and leadership to people around. In John 15, we have Jesus talking, and um, Jesus says all this amazing stuff. He's talking to his disciples about, you are, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And I'm not going to read it all, but he draws all these connecting points between remaining in Jesus, so like trusting God, remaining in Jesus, being his disciple, giving glory to the Father, obeying his commandments, friendship with God, uh, having authority and bearing lasting fruit. All of this stuff is, is linked right in. He's saying that this is what it all has to do with remaining in me, has to do with following my commands, has to do with being my friend, has to do with having authority. And in verse 15, he says, I have no, I have no, sorry. Yeah, uh, actually verse 16. Verse 16 in John 15, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. I very clearly, he says, I chose you and I have appointed you to live a life that matters. I've got stuff for you to do that is important. And God says to me something like, I want to grow your capacity so that we can do more. It's not just something from, it's to my benefit, but it's actually because there's stuff God wants to do. There's stuff God wants to do and it matters whether I say yes to him or not. It matters to God. It matters to the eternal God whether I say yes to him about doing the things that he's called me to do. He's calling us to come close to Jesus in obedience to his commands. To, and the fruit of that is bearing lasting fruit. What sort of fruit is God after? There's many things, but just quickly, there's one super consistent thing that I always, I've thought about a lot in my time in YWAM. Um, he says that to Adam and Eve and to mankind at the very beginning, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. He speaks to Abraham or Abram in Genesis chapter 12. He says, go to the land I will show you and I will bless you. I will make your name great. He talks about uh, blessing him and protecting him. And then he says, and through your obedience, that blessing is going to come to every nation of the earth. Live a life of obedience and through that obedience, I will bless the nations. And then he says it to the church in Matthew 28 to the disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I command. All the way through Scripture, there are these words and messages from God to His creation, which is basically saying that I want to extend my blessing to the earth through those who have already received it. I want to bless you, and I want that blessing then to go into every corner of the earth. And this is the mission's message. This is God's desire that he's calling us to walk in, whatever format that looks like, whatever location that would be. What God is saying to you this year, this month, this week, today, maybe it feels a bit big. Maybe it feels a bit overwhelming. But what's our response to that going to be? Caleb's response was, let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. Jehoshaphat said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And Jesus says, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. That's my message. Let's trust God even when we feel like we're in the deep end. Even when we suddenly feel like we hit the edge, when we hit the wall. Let's allow him to increase our capacity. 
so that we can bear greater fruit. Amen.